Hey, Renee. Hey, what? We're going to the Super Bowl! Okay. The same old okay. Lions. Not the 1-0 and Lions. Yep. They come in to Kansas City on opening night. And beat the champs. Dang right, Mike Tirico from NBC Sports. I, I love your enthusiasm yes. and excitement, but everybody needs to calm down just a little bit with their statement that we're going to the Super Bowl. We are. We won the Super Bowl 58 preview. We're going 2-0 and against the Chiefs this year. But, but yes, did we beat the defending Super Bowl champs? You know, we are the great voice of the Great Lakes, so I do uh, thrive on accurate. Let me do a quick Yes, we did. Yes, we did. It was not a dream. <laughs> oh, my God. I, and... Ford Field is going to be rocking a week from Sunday when the Seahawks I come know. to town. I, I'm so upset that I went to bed at halftime because we were down. Right. You know, we were down, what was it, 7-14 when I went to bed. 14-7. Right. right, and the Chiefs oh scored gosh. right at the end of the half. Like, okay, here we go. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, Mahomes was looking a little smug at that point. Right. Well, and here's the thing. You know, obviously – uh, you know, people say, oh, they didn't have uh, uh, Travis Kelsey. They didn't have Chris Jones, their greatest, their, their best defensive player. They're still the freaking Super Bowl champs. Yeah. It's still freaking Patrick Mahomes. They were still at freaking Arrowhead Stadium. Um, And, you know, the Lions have been notoriously bad in prime time. They, they looked like a complete football team uh, last night. And like you said, it's a long season. But at least this week until next Sunday, the Lions have met expectations and they're, they, they're, they're living up to the hype. But damn, we look good on national TV we yesterday. Did. Oh, my gosh. Hey. And, uh, God, you know, you got to be so happy for, for Dan Campbell and Jared Goff. Like I said, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But, you know, Dan Campbell came in and, and he uh, inherited that Quintricia mess. Yep. I remember it, 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 it was looking like. Maybe this might not work out even at the be uh, up until like halfway through last season before they got hot. Mm-hmm. Jared Goff was thrown under the bus. He was thrown on the scrap heat in L.A. in exchange for uh, for Matthew Stafford. And, um, you know, Dan Campbell, I, I mean, him and Jared Goff, if they if they just win a home playoff game. I think the two of them could go down as, as, as a couple of the most beloved figures in Detroit sports. It was just so nice, that momentum, that speed that we started to pick up at the end of the season last year. The big question was, is it going to carry over into the beginning of the season for this year? And obviously it is. Right. And, and that's the thing. I mean, that that's a, that's a long time to keep your momentum going. And, right. And, and normally, you know, I, you don't believe, I don't believe in momentum carrying over from – from last season, and maybe it's not momentum. Maybe they're maybe they've actually turned this thing around, and they're they're a legit team. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, his numbers were quite human last night, but he's still a lot of fun to watch. Um, I remember I was getting nervous because because you know I've been watching the Lions for like thirty three years now, and I've seen this happen. Uh, the Lions went for it on fourth down with uh, two and a half minutes left. They didn't quite get it. You said, oh, God, Patrick Mahomes has two and a half minutes left to to win this game. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Chiefs did what the Lions used to do in crunch time. Uh, Patrick Mahomes actually played really well that last drive. But he had uh, two or three receivers, Jay, I think, that actually dropped balls that were, like, right in their hands. Uh, They made a couple of penalties. And uh, they themselves kind of imploded. So it was nice to be on the other end of that. 
You know, I, I'm not going to pretend that I know a lot about football and what you're saying. <laughs> Because yeah. I don't. But can I tell you something? Yeah. Patrick Mahomes looks like the, the little puppy that gets out. Right. He's a, like, oh, no, there he goes again. Somebody catch him. Right, he's a slippery guy. Yes, he is. Somebody get that, get, get him back over here. And the thing is, you know, he was without Travis Kelsey, his, uh, you know, his security valve. And there were times last night where he looked like he was trying to um, do it all himself. And he was. Right. I mean, again, someone who doesn't know a ton of about football, even I could acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, so uh, here's Dan Dan Campbell in the locker room after the game. I told you guys we're built for this. Sh- we can overcome anything as long as you guys just can hang with it. We got a ton to clean up when we get back. But until then, enjoy this. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I these guys break it down. I mean, who doesn't want to run through a wall for that guy? I just need that to play every morning, and I feel like I can accomplish anything. Right. That's my alarm clock. It's 3 a.m. You got to take up. You're built for this. And I'm like, I'm really not, Coach, but I'm awake. You're right, DC. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I should be sleeping for at least another six hours, but dang it, if Dan Campbell believes in me, I believe in me. That's right. And, uh, you know, we were talking before the show, and uh, I, I – I, you know, I was saying Dan Campbell, if coaching doesn't work out for him, which it looks like it is going I to. I think he'll be okay. I, or, you know, if he does the thing where he does like Sean Payton or like Tony Dungy, where he has like a successful career. Well, not Sean Payton anymore. He's back in the NFL. But like he does like a Tony Dungy or like a Bill Cower, and, and he just he has a successful coaching career. Then he goes into broadcasting. Which so many do. I think that uh, I, I think he would have his pick of the networks because he is just so entertaining. But that's a long way away because he's got a couple of Super Bowls to he win. He has work to do here yeah. first. So a lot of fun. And, and like you said, it's it's a long season. But at least for this week, it's it's always a little bit easier to, to wake up from a late uh, after a late game when the Lions win. If they would have lost 21 to 20, we'd probably be more like this. No, yeah. we're going into the weekend on a high, and right. I love it. But we we are hype, and uh, you know we'll be talking about this uh, throughout the morning. So just keep it locked here. No coffee, just Kool Aid today. That's right, little uh, little uh, Honolulu blue Kool Aid to get you through your Friday. <laughs> and here's the thing: if you want to call into work, Renee and I will write you a note. Okay, I'm well, leaving. Yeah, See you well, later. <laughs> no, not you. <laughs> well, I need you till five. Um, <laughs> And uh, so, you know, in other news, uh, the next time the Lions play, um, the UAW could very well be on strike. Yeah, Sean Fain said yesterday that uh, General Motors' latest counterproposal is insulting and that the automakers wasting union members' time with just one week left before the current contract expires. The counterproposal, which offers a 10% wage increase for most employees, more paid holidays, and lump sum inflation, inflation payments, touches on some of the UAW's demands, but it doesn't exactly meet them. GM said in part on Thursday, our offer includes well-deserved wage improvements that far exceeded the 2019 agreement. We still have work to do, but we wanted to make this offer to show our good faith efforts to keep the process moving. Well, Sean Fain tweeted out that GM either doesn't care or isn't listening when we say we need economic justice uh, at GM by 1159 on September 14th. The clock is ticking. Stop wasting our members' time. Tick tock. Yeah, and... uh... This GM's proposal, um, they would get a 16% increase overall in installments 
uh, throughout the uh, the length of the deal. Uh, UAW wants 40 percent. UAW wants cost of living increases. I think that's what G- that that's what those inflation bonuses are. Yeah. I don't know why they can't just call them cost of living. Um, but uh, yeah. So it sounds like on the next Facebook live. Uh, Sean Fain will hit the trifecta uh, when it comes to throwing uh, all three auto companies' proposals in the trash. Right. But he's going to get to the point where the, uh, he's going to have to have bonfires because it's <laughs> right. just you right. know, not a big enough trash bin. Right. Bring some marshmallows. It'll, yeah. be a, it'll be a bonding event. A lot of ground to cover in a very short amount of time. Well, and so Stellantis and Ford are supposed to deliver their new offers to the UAW today. Uh, Ron Maloney, I was watching him on Local 4 yesterday. He says the likely scenario is not necessarily a full-out strike against all three automakers, uh, but instead like a, a strike at, at like critical component plants, like like a strike at the engine plants and a strike at the transmission plants. Oh, okay. Um, that would shut down. That would that would effectively shut down all the other plants. So the people who are actually striking, they'll they'll make a little bit more out of the strike fund, and then the the workers at the plants. Um, that are shuttered, they can uh, collect unemployment instead of um, dipping into the UAW fund. So the critical components, if you don't have those right. moving parts. Right. If you don't have an engineer transmission, right. you can't make. You so, can't make a car. So, I mean, you know, Sean Fain has been fire and brimstone, but it sounds like it, it sounds like he, he's very strategic. You know, that's a very strategic move. Um, to get the striking uh, auto workers more money, people will make a little bit more on unemployment, and then that, that way the strike can go on a little bit longer. Yikes. Um, you know, and going back to uh, the, the the lawsuit for unfair business practices that he filed against GM and Stellantis, I guess the reason he's doing that is because um, legally the big three can replace workers who are striking for economic reasons, mm-hmm. but they're not allowed to replace workers who are striking for unfair business practices. Oh, So, you know, Sean Fain seems kind of crazy, but he also seems kind of crazy like a fox. Mm-hmm. So uh, that'll be uh, next week. Like you said, clock is ticking tick-tock. We're going to be at the auto show. So it'll be a very interesting time to be at the auto show. If, if and when a strike happens. Mm-hmm. It's First Thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale on WJR. And Renee Vitale and Renee, I, I, I think by the end of the weekend, we're all three of our major football teams here in the state of Michigan are going to be undefeated. You think so? Yeah, you, you know, um, both MSU and uh, Michigan are still in their cupcake uh, uh, part of their schedule. And of course, last night, the Detroit Lions uh, beat the defending Super Bowl champions in a uh, Super Bowl 58 uh, preview. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's such a different mood around the area when the Lions win than, than, than when they lose. Have you ever noticed that? Well, sure. Everyone's in just a little bit better of a mood the, for that week. The social media this morning was so exciting you know you you hop on you your alarm goes off you hop on facebook for a hot second it was so exciting it was just i, I loved everybody it's it has been a, a long com- time since i've liked social media <laughs> it's such a communal experience it too. is we needed this and that's like one of the few positives about social media is you could be sitting alone in your your living room watching the game but you feel like you're watching it with your entire friends right group. it's like you're in the bar with a big group of people uh, speaking of which, a friend of mine posted, 
there needs to be a rule that the Lions can never play a game this late again unless this is the Super Bowl. Very happy, very tired to go Lions. He must work early like us. I would agree with that because uh, I'm on the struggle bus a little bit today. And you know what? At least it's a fr- at least it was a Thursday night game. We only have to power through Friday. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens uh, when they play their uh, their their Monday night game. Yep. I can't remember if they've got a Sunday night game, but I know they've got at least uh, a couple more games in primetime early in the week. But, hey, you know what? If they keep winning, it's a lot easier to power through. That's right. It's th- worth it. Than if they lose. And, uh, of course, you know, athletes are always looking for any type of uh, competitive edge that they can get. And uh, you came across a story uh, which kind of surprised me about how wide receivers are are trying to gain a mental yeah, edge. Yeah, so the NFL used to require wide receivers to wear jersey numbers between 80 and 89. Right. But in 2004, they let them also select the numbers 10 through 19. And by 2019, 80% of receivers were choosing lower numbers. Why? Because they think it makes them appear slimmer and faster. And a UCLA study found that people actually do see them that way, even if they're the exact same size as the guy wearing 80 through 89. The study says how we perceive the world is highly influenced by our prior knowledge. So in our daily lives, numbers written on objects, on a bag of sugar in the supermarket or weights in the gym, usually represent the magnitude of the objects. The higher the number, the bigger or more massive the object generally is. And you said this is uh, mostly NFL receivers, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Which is it? So does this mean that receivers have uh, body image issues like the rest of us? I guess. Is it their version of wearing horizontal stripes? (laughs) Right to look taller yeah <laughs> I, I mean th- this is interesting uh because uh you wouldn't think that these these highly tuned athletes uh would worry about looking slimmer or faster but i don't know i guess maybe when it uh, perception is reality i guess uh when it comes to putting together either like uh, a highlight tape to uh, uh you know, to sign with another team if you're one of these practice squad guys or when it comes to contract negotiation. I don't know. That's... Is it the way the eight sits around their midsection? Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I guess a number one will make you look taller and 88 will make you look wider. I'm I don't know. try that with my outfit. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm, <laughs> I'm only going numbers one through nine. Unless right. I'm trying to look intimidating, then right. I'm 55. <laughs> Wide receivers, though, they're interesting. They're like, uh, you know, people say goaltenders are kind of a little bit off. Wide receivers are i would say they're probably the most eclectic uh, of of all positions on the football they're just they're just all personalities and and i guess maybe it makes sense because it's because c- you're kind of off on an island by yourself it's it's uh-huh. probably about as individual of a position except for maybe kicker or punter but wide receivers are fascinating to i'm me. gonna be looking for that the next game yeah. Looking at their numbers. Oh, he does look a little more stout. Well, I remember, <laughs> like, back in the 90s, like, you had, like, especially guys who played, like, in Miami, they would, like, have, like, the single digits, and they'd have the little midriff showing off their, uh-huh. their abs. Yes. So <laughs> maybe bring that back. What a strange time for uniforms. Yeah, really. I don't know. <laughs> Accessorize. Um, so I, I have not heard... Uh, an update on this case in a long, long time. I know Danny Masterson, the guy who played Hyde on that 70s show, uh, he was in some legal trouble, and uh, he could be going away to jail for 20 years to life. Yeah, uh, he was sentenced yesterday to 30 years to life. 
Oh, uh, 30. 30 my, years my to life uh, for the rape of two women in 2003. He was convicted in May. Before his sentencing, he waived his right to speak. Uh, after the sentence was handed down, his attorney said that he'll appeal due to, quote, a number of significant evidentiary and constitutional issues. Uh, his ex-girlfriend, Chrissy Carnell Bixler, had also identi- identified herself as a victim. The jury was split on her case, 8-4 to four in favor of conviction. Prosecutors don't plan to retry him on that charge, though. Yeah, so I, I guess he I, I guess he was found guilty on two, and then the yep. third was probably that one. Yes. But, uh, I mean, 20 years for these victims to get justice. Unbelievable. And, I mean, 20 years ago... As a victim or a survivor, you know, I since the Larry Nash case, they said survivor. That's a better term. I like that. It's better. a little more empowered. Survivor. Yeah. So I mean, what a powerless time for survivors back in two thousand three, mm-hmm. um, especially because this had uh, this was done uh, at the Church of Scientology that really yep. tries to protect their their famous like big money um, uh, donors. Yeah, members. Mm-hmm. Donors, uh, yeah, right. Essentially, that's what that's what they are. Yeah, I don't know if you ever watched that Leah Remini thing on A and E, but it, I mean, the Church of Scientology. Um, yeah, it, 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 if you have money, and Danny Masterson had a lot of money back had. in two thousand three, yeah. because uh, uh, if that seventy show wasn't still on, it was it it, it it just ended. Right. Um, but if I remember correctly, though, the allegations against Masterson came out about the time. Uh, the Harvey Weinstein allegations came out, and and, and that's kind of what spurred the Me Too movement. Me Too, yep. And uh, it, and I think there was a lot of people who have been behaving badly yeah. over the last couple of decades who um, who got what was coming to them. And they were saying that yesterday when he was taken away, he wasn't immediately going into Gen Pop. Um, they've got him in a special area, like where they locked up O.J. Simpson right. and Suge Knight. And right, so. because I mean, number one, sex crimes make you a target in prison. Oh yeah, and being famous makes you a target in prison. That too. And but, but I mean, you know, the courage of these survivors. I mean, to come forward, uh, it takes a lot of courage to come forward after you've been sexually assaulted to begin with, especially with a high profile right. person. Because now you're put on trial. Right. Um. You know, every people look into your background and 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 your sexual history, and it's and you're scrutinized. It's very invasive. Yes, it's very invasive to begin with, and now when you're in the public eye, mm-hmm. um, it, it's even more. So so good for these survivors coming forward, and um, you know, holding holding Danny Masterson accountable. Uh, we have been watching over the past couple of um months. Some of our more elderly uh, members of Congress really struggle. You had Mitch McConnell uh, last week. He spaced out uh, while taking questions from reporters for 30 seconds. Did it a couple uh, uh, months ago. I think it was back in July. Dianne Feinstein uh, has been um, confused on the, uh, the, the the floor taking votes. And uh, one of our... uh, Our local state reps, John James, Mm -hmm. he is introducing a resolution this week to amend the Constitution to enact age limits for president, vice president and members of Congress. Uh, The proposal would stop anyone from running for any of those offices. If at any time during that term, the person will be 75 years or older, which would disqualify uh, 10 members of Congress who are already 75 and over. There are about 30 that are 71 or over, 
and it would disqualify both presumptive candidates uh, for presidency, both Joe Biden and Donald Trump, because they're both over 75. I did find it interesting that he did an interview with Fox News Digital, and uh, he did dodge the question about how that would affect Trump. Right. and Which it, he's endorsed. Right, yeah. And, and, you know, obviously he's a Republican, so speaking out against Trump is treacherous waters. Um, you know, me personally, I'm for term and age limits for appointed positions like Supreme Court justices. When it comes to elected positions, I think it's 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 up to the people. If they feel like someone in their 80s uh, can do a good job legislating and representing them, then that's their choice, mm-hmm. uh, me personally. And then uh, it looks like John, uh, John James also might be facing some challenges in his district um, in the upcoming election. Yeah, Democrat Carl Merlinga says that he's again going to seek a House seat in Michigan's 10th district uh, after narrowly losing to Republican John James last year. The National Democrats are targeting the seat in 2024 following sweeping wins in the state in 2022, except in the 10th district. Right. Uh, before the rematch, Merlinga must win likely crowded Democratic primary. Now, James has long been seen as a rising star in the GOP, but he's struggled to succeed in the state that has increasingly trended Democrat, right? So the National Republican Congressional Committee said Thursday that voters are going to reject Merlinga for a third time. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, yeah, John James, I think he lost by like a half percent. I'm sorry, he won. He won by a half percent over Carl Marlinga. But I'm not sure how vulnerable John James actually is because, yes, that first race was close. uh, But Macomb County is still pretty solidly Republican. It is. And he hasn't really done anything uh, to, 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 like, screw it up at this point. And the advantage always goes to the incumbent's favor. So I don't know if that seat is as up for grabs as it was the first time Carl Marlinga and John James faced off against each other. So we'll see. I I don't know. I don't. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I it's don't know so any- hard. It's so hard to predict. It's so hard to predict politics. Yeah. Yeah. We'll wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. As unpredictable as yesterday's game. Right. Uh, 2024 is coming. Hold on to your butts. It's first thing with Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale on WJR. All right. Renee and I are joined by a couple more people, a little bleary eyed, uh, but happy this morning. It's not my eyes. that's the concern. It's the brain. Yeah. The the, the brain is bleary. Just a little disclaimer, all right? This morning, you're going to get our best effort, but you might not get get our best results. <laughs> That's right. To fo- focus on the, the effort, not the outcome. Uh, Guy, I hope you did not start Travis Kelsey last night in your uh, fantasy league. Adjusted. Uh, which which was a huge break. But like I said, look, it's still, it, it, it's still Patrick Mahomes. It's still the Chiefs. You still went on the road. Uh, and beat the defending Super Bowl champions. And, and and the Lions are showing that the progress we were hoping that they made in the offseason, they actually made. That momentum carried into the new season, which is what we were hoping for. And the defense, which had been the object of so much scorn for so long, right. stepped up. These young guys, Brian Branch, uh, Jack Campbell, uh, they made it. Of course, in the Nathan Hutchinson, uh, hats off to Blaine Fowler, our FM neighbor next door here. Uh, tweeted out, hey, everybody take a drink when you see Aiden Hutchinson getting mugged in the Kansas City backfield. <laughs> right. We would not have been able to show up to work today. Because it was like the official said, oh, yeah, go ahead and hold him. Right. Well, and, and here's the thing, too. I mean, we talked about it at the uh, 
you know, in the break here, the Lions were the, the mentally tougher team yesterday. Um, you know, I with two and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, they went on it. Uh, they went for it at, at fourth and two. Uh, midfield, which has been the mo of 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 Dan Campbell, you know, be very aggressive. They 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 didn't get the first down, so oh god, okay, you gave Patrick Mahomes two and a half minutes to score a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes played well. The rest of his team, though, uh, yeah. dropped passes right to them. Uh, had they, a couple of penalties. That used to be the stuff that killed the Lions, and it was so nice to be on the opposite end of that. Yeah, the Chiefs look like the Lions in the fourth quarter. Right. The mm. old Lions. The old Lions. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, Lloyd Jackson hopped a, a, a late plane to Kansas City. He's still out in front of Arrowhead Stadium, and he joins us. <laughs> Lloyd, your thoughts on the game? Forward down the field. <laughs> All right, Lloyd, we'll check in. We'll check in with you on Monday. Oh. Enjoy. Um and, you know, we were talking about Dan Campbell. Who wouldn't want to run through a wall for, for that guy? But uh, you'll hear a bunch of you'll hear a bunch of, of sound throughout um, the show today. One thing I kept hearing were a couple things. We're built for this bleep. And that's one game. And and it seemed like it was universal, which to me shows that Dan Campbell is doing a great job with both culture and mes- messaging with his team. That's a really good point. And it's about discipline, mm-hmm. not beating yourself. And it's also about uh, not getting past the game that you're in. Right. Um, right. Here was something that I thought was very, very cool. And it's a TV production thing, guy. They open the show on NBC. They show Mahomes. Who is the poster guy for Kansas City? They show Travis Kelsey. Then they introduce the Lions. They show Jared Goff, Aiden Hutchinson, and Dan Campbell. Right. That he is the face of this organization. Not Andy Reid over on the Chiefs side. You right. don't show old Andy with his uh, walrus mustache <laughs> right. there. He no. looks like the walrus they used to sing at Major Magics. It, it's, it was, <laughs> to me, it was one of those aha moments that right. they, they get it, that Dan Campbell is the soul of this team and has built a culture that really matters. I've never known any of the coaches as much as I know Dan Campbell, yeah. an outsider looking in as far as that goes. And the thing is, like he, uh, he, is, just the per- he is just the perfect coach for Detroit. I mean, he really is with the with the grit, the grit, and 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 you know this sort of lunch pal mentality, sort of like the going to work Pistons back in the day. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. he does perfect. embody that, and you know we saw grit personified yesterday, as a lot of things didn't go their way, right? You know? uh, and there's going to be some questions about whether or not the offensive line was as stout as we thought they were going to be, and. Listen, there are going to be a lot of haters still hating out there saying, yeah. well, it's only one game. They right. didn't have Travis Kelsey. Right. I would say, yeah, but look at how the, offici- <laughs> the officials allowed the offensive line to just. Uh, well, yeah. And, and here's, here's the thing. I'm not being a hater. It is it is a long season, and but but at this point in time, the Lions are living up to the hype and meeting expectations. And we didn't allow ourselves to get into our heads when right. things didn't go our way yesterday. Oh, I was so in my head. What are you talking about? I'm saying She's players, a, not I you. Worried, right. I was worried about those right. near-Earth asteroids yeah. falling. Well, you know what? Uh, uh, the, the team was there to pick you up, guy. J.R. Morning coming up. And Renee Vitale, special counsel David Weiss, announced that he plans to indict Hunter Biden 
for lying on a background check form to purchase a gun and tax charges after a plea deal fell apart in court back in July. Matthew Schneider, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, now leader of investigations and white-collar defense practice in Honigman Law, breaks the potential charges down with Guy Gordon on JR Morning. So, you know, there are already the there are many Democrats and the Biden defense team out there saying, well, um, you know, this is never charged. So it's only political pressure that's causing this because this is never charged. Are they right? I don't think that's accurate, and I think it helps to understand where we were with this a few months ago at the end of the July season in the court. Remember how this happened. The government offered a plea, and they said you can plead to this misdemeanor failure to pay income tax, and you can have pretrial diversion for this gun crime. And then Hunter Biden went into court with his lawyer, and Hunter Biden's understanding was, well, then this is it. It's over. If I plead guilty to this, there's nothing left. And the government said, no, not so fast. You're still under investigation for other things. And that's how it fell apart. And now where we are is kind of in the natural course. A couple months later, the court asked for a status update and said, where are you? And the government said, well, look, our position really hasn't changed. And if you don't want to plead guilty, you don't want to take that deal, then we're going to indict you. And that in itself is not all that unusual. So um, we could see on any time between now and Friday, September 29th, uh, an indictment returned on this. How hard? I mean, he lied on the form. That is a felony. He would be a, a first time offender, I guess. But so what's the likelihood that the son of the president could actually see jail time? It's possible. I think it's unlikely, given the sentencing guidelines in this case. But as as far as the case itself goes, you're right, Guy. This is not difficult to prove. This is a pretty simple charge. And especially given Hunter Biden's confessions and what he's done in this case, sure, it seems like a very appropriate and, and charge that can be shown. Now, what we don't know is what else is going on. And those are the big questions about whether or not this is a sweetheart deal. What else is out there about mm-hmm. Hunter Biden that hasn't been brought up yet? And the question is, will that be brought up or will it be swept under the table? That's when the real accusations of sweetheart deal will come in. Well, we know that the House uh, GOP chairman uh, for the uh, Oversight Committee, uh, James Comer, is seeking the documents related to that defunct plea agreement and uh, is laying the groundwork for a potential subpoena there. So they're going to kick over that rock. In the meantime, Abby Loyal, Hunter Biden's attorney, is out there saying, uh, look, they can't charge him here because um, we already had a, a plea deal. And he somehow feels that that is still in effect, that it, quote, prevents any additional charges from being filed against Mr. Biden. Um, does it? And does it prevent the reinstitution of this gun charge? I don't think his argument is a great one because they did sign that plea agreement, uh, the, the pretrial diversion agreement, but they didn't plead guilty to the tax offenses, and those are still out there. So 
that never actually took place in front of the court. I think the government has a lot of leverage over Hunter Biden saying, you know, the time has come for you to plead guilty. But again, there's so much we don't know. And if the government decides it's just going to give up on everything and sweep this uh, accusation that Hunter Biden was a uh, registered agent, an unregistered agent of a foreign government operating inappropriately, I still think that's the big deal in this case. That is the shoe that is yet to drop. Well, and then there's the whole issue of of then Vice President Joe Biden and whether or not he was doing his son's bidding. Um, We know the House Oversight Committee is looking, asking for some emails dating back to December of 2015 from the National Archives where this guy, Eric Schwerin, who was one of Hunter's business partners, intimately involved in his business, sent a list of talking points to Biden's, when he was vice president, his communications director, saying, you know, these are some of the things that relate to Ukraine, which you should be aware of. Well, it, they were they were out-and-out Burisma talking points. And apparently, the president actually used them. If they can prove that, there, there were instructions that came via channels from Burisma to the president's lips, that they actually put words in his mouth. Is there criminal exposure there, or is it just ethical exposure? It could be both, and I do think that's a big problem. You know, from the Democratic side, a lot of Democrats are saying, there's nothing to see here, nothing wrong happened. From the Republican side, a lot of Republicans in the House are saying, this guy is so guilty, it's patently obvious Well, the truth is a little bit in the middle. You know, no one can just say there's no evidence that Biden, President Biden, wasn't involved because there is some evidence, and you just quoted some of that. There's also texts, email communications about whether or not the big guy, Joe Biden, was involved, or my pop, as Hunter Biden referred to him. There is some evidence there, and when there's evidence, it's always incumbent to follow up and figure out exactly what happened. Right. And there's there's much more uh, data and evidence gathering that that needs to be done. And yet the the notion that uh, Hunter's business associates uh, were, were writing the script for the then vice president, who was the point man for the Obama administration on Ukraine, is is alarming. And again, you, 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 know, you heard me quote from the CNN poll. Even it cut, this cuts across party lines. Voters aren't buying it. Right. And that's because there is some evidence out there and people want to know exactly what happened. Now, it could take place in this court hearing as this unravels that the negotiations over how this took place, that might come out and show some evidence about President Biden's involvement. Because why did they negotiate this pretrial diversion deal? Why did they get into engagements over the the plea discussions on the gun and the taxes? Was there something else that was discussed? And I think you're going to see people arguing that we want to see that. Matthew Schneider, uh, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, breaking down the uh, impending indictment against Hunter Biden. It's first thing on WJR.